Well, this past Monday, our church gathered uh, by Zoom online to pray for our country on Election Eve. And as we gathered for prayer, we asked that above all things that God would remind us as His people that we are to seek first His kingdom. And that no matter what happens with an election in our country, that we know that, that God rules and God reigns sovereign. And that we want our deepest cries of our heart to be cries out for the Lord and for His rule and His way in our own lives. We also prayed for the safety of our nation and peace in our nation. We prayed for an honest and free election. And uh, by all accounts, I know that there's uh, still um, aspects of the election still going on, but it certainly looks like there has been peace, and we continue to pray for peace. It certainly looks like there has been an honest election, and we continue to pray that that ends up the case. And uh, God is still on His throne, and we still worship and adore, and we, as God's people, still seek first the kingdom of God. This morning, as we pray, we want to continue to pray for our nation. We want to pray for President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Harris. We want to pray for President Trump and Vice President Pence. We want to pray for our government as our government begins the undertaking of a transition we want to pray for leaders at all levels that they would lead with humility and that they would lead with mercy and compassion. Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. God, indeed, You are our God. Indeed, we bow humbly to the name of Jesus and we honor You and we worship You and we adore You today. God, You have been faithful to Your people throughout the ages, throughout generations. And we thank You for Your steadfast love and Your mercy and Your compassion. God, we continue to ask that You would bring Your kingdom to bear here on earth as it is in heaven. And that You would use us for Your holy and mighty purposes in this world. And so, Lord, open our hearts and minds this morning to the way that You want to use us to bring about Your rule and to bring about Your reign all over the world. Not just our country, God, but all over the world. That hearts would turn to You. That those who are on the margins would be lifted up. That those who don't know You would turn and place their trust and their faith in You. God, as Your people, doing Your work here in Your world, we ask that You would use us to these ends. God, we come to You as citizens of, uh, Lord, Your kingdom, and Lord, with also the reality that we live here in this country, most of us do who are listening. And God, we pray and we continue to pray for peace as our nation has undergone an election. God, we pray that peace would reign in our streets, in our communities, Father, all over our nation. And we ask that You continue uh, to protect us. God, we ask that You would just oversee the transition of earthly leadership here in our country. 
We God, God, we pray for President Trump and Vice President Pence. Lord, uh, it's, it's not easy to be on the losing end of, of any decision, much less a national election. And God, we pray for them today. And we ask, Lord, where hearts may be bitter and frustrated and angry, we pray that You would soften. Lord, we pray that You would help both of those national leaders to know that You love them deeply and that their worth is in You. God, we pray for President-elect Biden and Vice President-elect Harris. And we ask for Your grace and compassion and mercy, Lord, to flow through them. We pray that they would be humble servants. Lord, we pray that they would lead with mercy and compassion for people. And God, we pray above all things that You would protect the safety and well-being of all. God, we pray for those elected officials also in, in other offices and other places, other levels of government. We ask that uh, for the same thing, that they would lead with humility and compassion. Lord, we pray that You'd give them wisdom and discernment. So Lord, um, we thank You for hearing our prayers for peace and hearing our prayers of adoration and our hopes that are invested completely and fully in You. God, we also pray for our nation as the coronavirus continues to rage and continues to surge. Lord, record numbers of cases here in our country on a daily basis. Uh, death count rising again. God, we ask, Lord, for mercy. We ask, God, that You would expedite the development of a safe vaccine, or whatever method You would choose, Lord, to spare us any further in this country from this pandemic. Lord, we pray that You would give patience and that You would give perseverance to all people in our country to do what is needed, Lord, to be safe and to keep others from contracting this virus. Lord, we just ask for help, God. We ask for mercy. We lift up those who are in the coronavirus task force, those who may be in a new one. Lord, those doctors, our doctors, everywhere. We pray that You'd give them wisdom and discernment also. Lord, we pray for our church family today. We pray for those who are hurting, those who are struggling. Lord, we ask that uh, You would give them a lift, give them hope, and give them healing. God, above all, we worship You and we adore You and we turn to You with all our hopes and all our trust. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, again, it's, it's so good to, to be able to gather online uh, for worship and, and I don't for a moment take for granted uh, your uh, faithfulness in this endeavor, your support uh, of the ministry here, and let's just continue to pray uh, for one another uh, as we walk through uh, this time. A few years ago, uh, Jody and I were visiting some friends who were actually visiting uh, from another state, and they were at one of the really nice resorts in Williamsburg. And I didn't know how to get there, so I, I used the GPS and 
And as we started to get closer and closer and closer, the GPS took my car right by the beautiful, grand entrance of this resort with its well-manicured lawns and, and, and just beautiful signage. And we, we looked past it, and we thought, wow, that looks really nice. Well, the GPS continued to route my car all the way to the back of this beautiful, luxurious resort to the service entrance. And the service entrance, there was a, a gate down, so we couldn't go in. And, and so I, I turned around, and I thought, okay, the, the GPS will recalculate. And it, it took some time, and it spun around a little bit and did what GPSs do. And then it just flipped me right back around to the service entrance again. This was quite humbling experience. My GPS knew that I had no business in this nice, luxurious resort. Well, we finally uh, made our way. We turned off the GPS, and we finally made our way in to visit our friends. But it was a humbling experience. Well, today, as you heard Sarah mentioned earlier, we continue our series at Jesus, following the way of Jesus, by considering what it means to have a humble spirit. The Bible tells us over and over again that it is humility that captures the eye and the delight of God. For example, James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. Isaiah 66.2 says, this is the one I esteem. Isaiah speaking for the Lord here. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. You know, one of the narratives in the aftermath of another really close election is just how divided we are as a nation. The presidency has been decided by just a razor thin majority or razor thin margin in a handful of states. And I don't want to oversimplify matters, but when there's an election that is so close and so divided, you can really choose to spend your time in one of three ways. You can ignore those who have views different than your own. You can battle those who have views different than your own. Or you can humbly try to understand those who have views different than your own with respect and with a generous spirit. As Stephen Covey once wrote, seek first to understand, then seek to be understood. Or as my mother used to say, hush your mouth and listen for a while. It takes a humble spirit to pursue this higher ground. It takes a humble spirit to pursue unity when there is division. Last week I mentioned that how we as God's people handle this election is a matter of our witness and our mission and our discipleship. And so no matter what your view, God is again beckoning us and calling us into the deeper waters of faith and calling us to interact with humility as we engage others. I once read a fascinating study of Olympic medalists conducted by Northwestern University. The study reported that those who won a silver medal reported being more unhappy than those who won third place and received a bronze medal. 
Now, you would think it would be the other way around since the silver medalist came in second and the bronze medalist came in third. But what the study reported is that those who won the silver focused more on what they lost and how close they were to the gold. Those who won the bronze were simply glad they made it to the medal stand and invited to the party. The academic term for this is upward and downward counterfactuals. Now, let me give you another example. Let's say you're surfing the web and you see an ad on one of your favorite clothing stores. And, but before you were surfing the web, you were completely content and happy with your wardrobe. But then all of a sudden you see something new at one of your favorite stores and you start to feel like you just have to have that something new and you start to feel like your wardrobe that you were completely content with before is all shabby and needs replacement. That's called an upward counterfactual. It is driven off of the idea of discontent. Now, not all upward counterfactuals are about discontent, but you get the picture. The flip side of this is, is let's say you engage in a service project like open table or food distribution or, or the Thanksgiving distribution. And, or you go on, on a mission trip and you see and you serve those who are in need all of a sudden you feel incredibly blessed. You feel incredibly grateful and humble. This is a, a downward counterfactual. Jesus taught us a parable about upward and downward movement in the Gospel of Luke chapter 14. Let me set the scene for us. One Sabbath day, Jesus went to have dinner with religious leaders or what we would call a members of the religious establishment and Jesus had just healed a man, and he was quizzing them and trying to teach them. And then he noticed something fascinating. It would be absolutely humorous if it wasn't such a mirror of the human condition. He noticed that as all the guests arrived, they shuffled and scuffled to see who could get the very best seat at the dinner party. They wanted to have a seat that made them look important and made them look like they were somebody. They wanted to have the best seat in the house so they could also have the best experience. Now, before you judge, how many times have you attended a, a sporting event or a concert or something else and then said to others, oh, we had great or amazing seats? So Jesus sees this all-too-human scene of social climbing and then he told them this parable. I'll read it for us. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor for a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back. And so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. 
although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. May God richly bless the reading and the hearing of His Word. Now, Jesus wasn't just giving social advice on how to avoid an embarrassing situation here. Although it would be quite an interesting moment if you barged into a dinner and took the best seat only to have your host come and say, hey, you need to to head on back there by the kitchen door. No, Jesus was warning against those who had this sense of self-righteousness. And those who not only thought they deserved the favor of God, but those who looked down on others. Those who looked down on the least of these rather than lifting them up and serving them. Well, let me invite you to take out your series journal if you have that so that you can take notes. And let's just take a look at some basic ideas about humility. The what, the why, and the how. And while you're taking those out, I just want to give shout out uh, to some of my favorite authors and mentors, Leith Anderson, Mark Batterson, N.T. Wright, uh, John Ortberg, and the like. I'm grateful uh, for their insights. What is humility? Humility can be one of those traits that can be hard to define, but we know it when we see it, and we feel it when we don't. Perhaps a good way to drill down is to consider what humility is not. So first of all, humility is not false humility. So for example, examples of false humility, and I think we've talked about this before, would be like humble bragging. You know, humble bragging would be somebody would say something like, you know, uh, I was invited to the White House, but I only have my blue suit to wear instead of my black suit. You know, that's kind of kind of false humility or humble bragging. Humble bragging is also being self-deprecating. Uh, you know, I, I love to cook, and sometimes I've sort of caught myself doing this just a, a little bit. So I'll cook something, and, and I'll take it out to the family, and I'll say, you know, it, it needs a little bit of this. It needs a little bit of that. And they so lovingly and wonderfully respond by saying, oh, no, it's just good. It's just right. And, I, you know, that's a little bit of uh, self-deprecating, uh, if you will. Of course, I've also thought, you know, if I say, oh, wow, this is the best thing ever, I, I might be setting myself up there too. Humility is not being a martyr in a conflict and relationships. The martyr is that person who makes all the sacrifices, or, and they do so so that they would draw attention to themselves. This leads to a a different and odd type of self-centeredness. Humility is not humiliation, like the person in the story who is humiliated in front of others. So what is humility? One of my favorite definitions of humility is given by John Ortberg. He writes, humility is appropriate smallness before God. Appropriate smallness. We realize God's greatness and God's holiness and we bow down to God in humble adoration and we ask for His mercy over our transgressions and we offer our gratitude for His forgiveness. Humility is recognizing that God is God and, and, and we are all sinners in need of a Savior. We're, in, we're sinners in need of God's grace and it's to bow down in honor and the worship of God. Appropriate smallness is when we recognize the dignity and the worth of others. The dignity and the worth of all people. You notice how, how Jesus said in that parable, you know, 
when you throw a dinner party, don't just invite those that can invite you back. That's more of a, a transactional invitation. And don't invite those who you expect to invite you back. Have you ever uh, had uh, friends over and you said, well, now it's their turn to invite us over? That kind of thing, sort of quid pro quo? No, Jesus said, you know what? When you have a dinner party, invite those who could never even begin to invite you in to their home or to throw a dinner for you. See, that's lifting up others. That's seeing others with the same sense of worth and dignity that you see or that you want for yourself. It's to see them the way God sees them. And our Lord is constantly scanning the margins, looking for those He can bring in and lift up. This is so important when we think about division, right? And seeking unity. It's so important when we desire to make peace with others. Is to view others with this sense of dignity and respect. Appropriate smallness is to consider ourselves as God's children, made in His image and loved incredibly by God. And is to recognize that God wants to bless us so that we can be a blessing to others. Martin Luther said, God created the world out of nothing, and as long as we are nothing, He can make something out of us. Humility before the Lord leads us to be not, not, to, self, not to be self-righteous or self-important, but it leads us to have a gracious confidence that is rooted in Christ. It leads us to this sense of Christ-confidence. And so humility is appropriate smallness before God. It is honestly assessing ourselves in a relationship to who God is and who we are. It is to let God be God's. Appropriate smallness or humility is to say God is God and I am here and God loves me incredibly. And God loves all people incredibly. Love your neighbor as you love yourself with appropriate humility and appropriate understanding of God is God and we are ourselves. So why humility? God wants us to be in a proper relationship with Him. And God wants His rightful place. So first and foremost, we need to recognize that, that, that God loves humility because it then allows God to be God in our lives and for, for us to, to worship God and to be open to God's work in the world. Why humility? Humility creates God's space in our lives. Now, what is God's space? Don't look it up in the dictionary. It's another one of those words I've sort of made up. But God's space is that space in our lives when we decrease so that God can increase. If our lives are so full of ourselves, so full of our agendas, our wants, our pettiness, our grievances, and the like, we don't give God the room to work His will and His way in the world through us. Humility creates a channel in our lives through which we can be a blessing to others. Let me, let me, let me say that again. Humility creates a channel in our lives through which we can be a blessing to others. See, if we're so full of self, 
then there's not the channel for God to work and to bless others. Third, why humility? God uses humility to liberate and bless us. It is only through humility that we can be freed from the rat race of self-importance, the rat race of competition, and the rat race of comparison with others. My friend Joel Johnson from Minnesota often says, comparison kills. Comparison to others just flat out kills. Comparison has a way of of killing our self-image. We used to live in a, a classic leafy suburb in Richmond. We lived there for 10 years, and we had a good-sized yard, but there was only one problem. I am absolutely terrible with yards. I'm just absolutely terrible. And our yard had all these trees, and, 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 and a nice, you know, thick grass was really hard to, to get to come up and, and to grow and, and to look good. And I, I did my best, but after the, the first spring and, and summer there, uh, I, one of our neighbors uh, said to me, he said, you know, he said two owners ago, the owners before us only owned it for about a year, and the, and the original owner owned it all the time before that. He said two owners ago, that guy won the neighborhood award in this yard. And he didn't say that it didn't look like I was going to follow suit, but I could kind of tell he was, he was sort of comparing my yard to his neighbor, or to the previous owner's yard. And I thought, well, he, he probably really liked living next to the beautiful azaleas and the, and the wonderful green grass and so forth. But in order to get that yard to do that, you had to have a graduate degree in horticulture, and I didn't have one. And so for the, all the rest of the time we lived there, which was nine more years after that, it was sort of this comparison kills thing. I was like, you know, there's no way my lawn lives up to the original owner. But I said, you know what? At least it's better than this other neighbor whose yard looks even worse than mine. I'm kidding. Maybe I had that a little bit, but you shouldn't do it. Comparison kills. It beats you up. We get so caught up in the rat race, we compare everything from square footage to exercise times to kids' achievements. Comparison kills, and God uses humility to liberate us from this kind of rat race. And comparison also kills others. Human nature being what it is, when we can't keep up, or so we think, we want others to slow down, others to fail, or others to lose. Humility frees us up from all of this. Humility leads us to empty ourselves of self-importance. Not to be a doormat, but to recognize that our identity and security is found in our relationship with our God, the master of the dinner party. So we've looked at what is humility. We've looked at why humility. How are we humbled? How do we pursue humility? One writer said there's really three ways. By defeat, we're humiliated in some way and we learn humility that way by death we are humbled in death the bible tells us that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that jesus is lord those who do not humble themselves in life will be humbled in death those who humble themselves in life bow to
to Jesus and they will be exalted and raised with Him. Those who are humbled, as Jesus said, will be exalted. But those who insist on going their way and exalting themselves will be humbled in the fullness of God's time. Or by design. So we're humbled in defeat. We're humbled in death. We're humbled by design. This is what Jesus did. Philippians 2 tells us that though he was God, he did not consider equality with God something that could be grasped. And he humbled himself, taking the form of a servant. He was equal with God, but he took the form of a servant. What are practical steps we can take to pursue humility by design? The first step I would like to suggest is to pray and ask God for a humble spirit. Humility is such a matter of the heart. Pray and ask for healing. So much of arrogance and pride comes from fear and insecurity. Some of it comes from deep wounds. And so I encourage you, the first step to pursue humility is to pray and ask God to give you a heart of humility. Second, build bridges with others who are different than you. Walking in someone else's shoes reminds us that we all have human dignity and we all have our humanity that causes us to struggle. Build bridges with those who are different. Third, find a humility mentor. Humility seems to be one of those traits that is just modeled and caught far easier than it is taught. Surround yourself with people who have pursued humility in a godly way. I have a friend of mine in Richmond who, before he was retired, was an incredibly accomplished man in the workplace and had risen to be the executive vice president of a major corporation. You would think that he would be the epitome of a mover and shaker, but not this guy. Not this guy. The Lord reigns in his heart. And the Lord has his heart. And he is an incredibly humble man. I would meet with him on a a regular basis and he would routinely ask me about the ministry. Routinely ask me about my family and how he could serve us. How he could pray for us. And his heart would break for those who are hurting. He was also someone who could find a lot of joy and loved a good laugh and laughed freely. When I think of humility, I picture him. I think of him. Lastly, the way we can pursue humility is to serve. Is to copy our Lord and to serve. Constantly serve. And particularly serving the least of these. And allowing ourselves to be the channel of God's blessing for those who are hurting. We're humbled by defeat. We're humbled by death. We can be humbled by design. So be humble is the word from the Lord today. In all things, be humble. Enter the gates of life through the service entrance. For our Lord takes great delight in humility. It catches His eye And He pours out His blessing on those who are humble. Amen.
and amen. Let's pray as we conclude our service today. Oh Lord, help each one of us this day and each day forward to bow our hearts to You. And as we bow our hearts to You, Lord, help us to pursue humility. And Lord, we recognize that when we keep You in Your rightful place, that we are humbled but not humiliated. We are humbled. And we see the dignity of others. And we see the way You love us and the way that You want to love others through us. So Lord, I pray for each one of us that we would take these practical steps today. Lord, that we would pray that You would continue to give us a humble heart. Lord, that that we would build bridges with those who have different experiences and those who, are, who have different thoughts and, and different ideas and different opinions than us, oh God. That we would do so openly and honestly, not to win arguments and debates, but Lord, to understand. Lord, that we would find those who can be mentors in our lives to model humility at every stage and every season. Lord, to serve. Help us, O oh God, to take these practical steps even today. And Lord, we ask that Your power and Your grace would be evident in our hearts as we humbly serve You and others. Thank You, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go in peace. I hope you have a great week and hope to see you again next week.